Hello, and welcome to the Tech UK podcast. I'm Lewis Wormsey Brown, Head of Market Access and Consumer Tech here at Tech UK. Very excited to be doing my first ever pod. So, we'll be talking through today the findings of our annual State of the Connected Home report. Uh, this report, now in its sixth edition, surveys people across the UK to understand consumer interest, ownership, and usage of a range of connected or smart home products. Throughout today's podcast, we'll be referring to data drawn from the report, which is now downloadable from the Tech UK website. Just search Tech UK State of the Connected Home 2022. Uh, to help us interpret the results, I'm joined by Trevor Godman from market research and intelligence firm GFK, which led the study. Hi, Trevor. Hi, Lewis. Really good to be here today. Um, yeah, as, as you said, we've been running the survey for six years now. I've been running it for, for most of the last four or five years, um, and really it gives us an insight onto how consumers are seeing the kind of the, the connected home space in the UK. It's a consumer perspective, and we'll also talk a little bit later today about the kind of a, a sales point of view in terms of a harder sort of market data. Um, we're, we're very grateful to GFK for the collaboration on this project over over the last six years now. So um, just before we elaborate a bit more on, on the results, could you maybe just kick us off by telling about the methodology? Are we are we confident that this is a fair reflection of connected home patterns in the UK? It's it's a good question, Lewis, and, and it starts us off with the boring bit that hopefully builds some confidence in, in people understanding what we're what data we're talking about here. So most of the information that we that we use in the report is based on a, a representative sample of a thousand UK adults. Um, so we interview them online and we've been using the same methodology for the last um, six years. So it's it's a pretty robust sample. It's a it's a reliable approach and it is consistent over time. There are always some limitations in exactly how well consumers understand some of the tech products that they own. And we'll talk probably about, about kind of the, the, the understanding in a, in a little while. We're also going to talk a little bit about some data which is based on, on GFK's point of sale data. So that's data that we take from, from retailers looking at exactly what they have sold kind of through their tills. And that is much harder data. And together, they kind of complement one another in terms of giving a, a kind of a consumer viewpoint, but also that the hard sales point of view, because there is sometimes a bit of a disconnect between consumers and the industry in terms of, of understanding and, 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 and people knowing what they own. And it's been quite interesting also now now that we are at the sixth year of doing this report, so we're starting to see those year on year comparisons where we've kept the methodology relatively similar. You can really see the how how the trends are playing out in the national connected home market. yeah, we can and and there are some parts of the data where the trends are are relatively slow moving. But when we see year after year after year, we're now really seeing kind of a, a definite trend in some parts of the market, which were really very, very emergent when we first started to do the work um, five or six years ago. So in terms of um, the products that are in scope, so um, the report focuses on five key connected home product categories. But connected home is, is sort of a very broad term that can mean anything from in entertainment devices through to entire whole home management systems. Even now, in, in some contexts, it's extending to vehicles and the way that the home interact interacts with electricity grids and other homes in the neighborhood. So um, how did you decide which product elements to to include within this study? It's a really good question. It was something that we we spend spent a lot of time initially trying to, to decide, and we've we've kind of debated and revisited a couple of times um, since we first set the survey up. And you're right that, that connected home is a very broad and sometimes quite amorphous term. I don't think there really is a standard definition of what anybody 
means by it, certainly what everybody means by it. Uh, and within the survey, we, we've done a couple of things. So we, we had to start off by by picking a list of products that we could ask people about. And in doing that, we had to kind of present people with a manageable list. So we ask about um, around 20 products, and we've and most of those have been consistent for the, for the whole last six or seven years. And in picking that list initially, we tried to strike a balance between sort of a range that the range of product categories that have come some kind of, of smart home or connected home element. And at the time we first started doing the work, it was it was very new. So there was an element of hype about which types of categories were going to see smart capabilities being built in. Yeah, six years ago, very much the domain of sort of the the smart TV, the smart speaker. Yeah, and people were also thinking about sort of other things. We were talking then about smart cities a bit and um, and virtual reality in a way that hasn't perhaps perhaps taken off in quite the same way that connected home has. We we also then when we go through the survey, we do. It's sometimes difficult to to make it clear to consumers what a smart product is as opposed to a, a regular sort of traditional product in some categories. So we do explain to consumers when we ask them which products they own, we try to describe what some of the smart features of those products would be. So to distinguish a, a, a smart TV from a dumb TV um, or a smart washing machine from a, a, a more traditional washing machine. So, so we're going through that process all, all the time as we go through the, the survey with people. And as you say, we, for, for the sake of simplicity, we tend to divide the market up into um, five broader categories. Um, so we talk about smart entertainment, which is things like TVs and smart speakers, um, smart domestic appliances, so mostly kitchen appliances, washing machines, fridges, that sort of thing. We also talk about um, some some smaller domestic appliances within there, so um, vacuum cleaners, for example. We then have smart energy and lighting, so things like thermostats and, and smart LED. Then we have health monitors, which I think is the, the, the hardest category for consumers to, to understand because it can be very fragmented. And that's really dominated by, by smartwatches, kind of traditional mass market wearable devices. But we also hope to pick up people who might have devices for this particular um, health conditions. And then the last one is smart security control. So things like alarm systems, doorbells, um, security cameras, that kind of thing. And we sometimes use that as a way of, of simplifying the, the, the way of viewing the market rather than it being a, a whole long laundry list of products. The other point kind of perhaps to, to make there when we talk about sales tracking, we, we do use a harder technical definition of, of what makes a, a, a connected home or a smart home product in that sense. Um, and we look there at technical capabilities that define a connected product. Um, and, and generally, we're talking about devices which A, can connect to the internet in order to, to connect to other things, but also then actually devices which can then be controlled either remotely via apps or using voice commands. So that's broadly what we mean when we talk about connected home devices from a, from a sales point of view, we look at the technical specs of the devices. So starting off kind of with the big picture results, um, I know there was a lot of uncertainty over what this year's results could look like, um, particularly when looking about at year on year comparisons, as there was that big uptake in people investing in consumer electronics during the pandemic, as they're, they're staying at home, they're not spending as much going out, they're investing in their home environments. I know this survey was um, conducted from April 2021 through to March 2022. So we weren't completely out of the woods in terms of the pandemic. We had the the uh, second or was it the third lockdown? I, I lose count. But so how, how's the overall state of the connected home looking compared to last year's findings? Okay, you're absolutely right, Lewis, that the, the, the overall trends 
um, across kind of so much of the economy, but 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 technical good, um, kind of consumer goods in particular, really skewed by the pandemic. So there has broadly been some some decline since the real peak of if like the first year of COVID. So Q2 2020 through to Q1 2021, kind of consumer goods sales were really buoyant through that period and connected home devices rode that wave. Um, if anything moved as we, we talked about this last year a little bit um connected home devices were, were at the at the wavier end of the wave if you like they they, they saw a, a bigger increase and post kind of that that real peak covid year overall consumer goods markets have declined a little bit since then and we've seen a little bit of, of that pattern within connected home as well um but it's a much smaller decline than we've seen for the overall market and if we compare um our, our most recent year so the year ending mark 22 against um two years previous so the year ending march 2020 which was a clean pre-covid period and um, we're still seeing a, a definite increase in in the size of the market since then um, and we'll talk a bit more as we go go through this afternoon about and um, the categories in particular that people are buying more of so during the early days of the industry we, we saw a few sort of waves of adoption um focused primarily around specific products so there was a maybe the first wave could have been driven more by smart tvs and then more recently it's been smart speakers um, at the moment, are there any real star performers this year, or are those gains more evenly distributed? One of the other things that we see when we look a little bit deeper within the data is that we're seeing quite a, we're seeing fairly steady growth in quite a wide range of product categories, which hadn't perhaps been seeing um, the consumer uptake in terms of people understanding that they owned them that we'd seen previously. So if I take a look at the data in a little bit more detail, we see um, things like smart plugs, um, smart doorbells, um, smart lighting products, um, smart thermostats, lots of these products which which overall are only owned by quite a small minority of consumers. Most of those are around kind of one one consumer in 10 saying that they own um, a, a smart plug or a smart thermostat, smart doorbell. But they are steadily increasing, kind of typically doubling over the last four or five years. And um, smart doorbells growing really strongly from about 2% five years ago to, to 11% this year. So we are seeing increasing ownership across quite a wide range of, of categories. In the past few years, when we've talked about the market, we've really talked a lot about one or two hero products, and that's that's typically been been smart speakers. Um, so smart speakers grew grew really really strongly for for several years. Smart TVs were were big for a long time and still are very big. We saw a real peak um, in 2021 in the COVID year, people buying um, smart watches, um, which we include in the definition as well. But we've moved, as I say, we've kind of moved away from those quite mass market products to kind of a, a, a longer tail of devices, all of which are seeing some traction. And, and why is that happening now? Is that because the manufacturers and retailers are bringing new types of product to market that previously weren't in existence? Or is it more about sort of consumer demand and awareness that these types of products are available? I, I think it's definitely a bit of both. Um, there's absolutely a, a kind of supplier push and if you look at, um, at trade shows or trade press every year, if you look at coverage of CES or, or EFUB, which is the, one of the big um, domestic appliances events, there are more and more smart features being built into more and more products that are coming to market. 
and and that is a if you like a, a manufacturer push in terms of what's what's coming out to market and what's being bought by consumers and i think in some categories that's particularly important so if i think about kitchen appliances we see and we've always seen but but the, the, the trends are, are just as clear this year we see a bit more of a disconnect between the proportion of washing machines for example which is which are sold and have some kind of smart capabilities that's about 30% 35% now and then the proportion of consumers who say that they own a smart washing machine because there, there are lots of people who buy a washing machine they're not aware and they're, they're not really they're not really aware or, or, or motivated by or using the smart features um, so there's definitely a supplier push kind of angle on things as well but there's also a a consumer pull point of view and some of that as you talked about is about awareness and increasing familiarity as we said kind of more and more people have some connected devices in their homes and therefore it's a little bit easier to feel that they should take another one they've got something else to plug it into they've got a bit more confidence that they can they can make it work with typically with the smartphone that they will use to run the app that controls the device so we're seeing that move out of kind of one or two standalone devices like smart tvs um, or wearables into some some other devices which plug perhaps plug together and make the home a bit smarter overall than we we initially saw with kind of entertainment products really really driving things so yeah, and then there's there's kind of one last point i think that we see which is that while awareness kind of familiarity with smart home devices has been quite high for for several years kind of typically 80% of consumers say that they they know something about connected home and and more than a third for the last couple of years have said that they have quite good knowledge about connected home products the replacement cycle for some of these products is quite is quite long so people typically buy a, a fridge or a washing machine every five to ten years um, and, and installing thermostats or home security systems again they're, they're even less frequent purchases so i think one of the things that we're seeing is kind of just people who've been familiar for a while maybe had one or two products are gradually and, and to some extent it was triggered by by covid people had a bit more money to spend at home um, some of that kind of familiarity is being picked up by people getting to a natural replacement of, of some quite slow moving product categories. So it's it's not necessarily that familiarity or confidence has all of a sudden grown, but we're, we're seeing the, the longer term benefit of that in terms of market growth. Oh, well, that's interesting you said that about um, people taking on sort of multiple devices because there, there was a, a really good data point in the in this year's report about the growth in number of people that we we call advanced adopters which are people who have at least three connected devices in the home so do, do they play a strong role in encouraging sort of wider members of the public who maybe see their neighbor or their brother and sister having you know all of these cool things happening in their home does, does that help to sort of spread awareness and grow the overall market or is it a bit more of a, a niche category of sort of connected home super fans? I, I I don't think there is a binary answer to that question, actually, Lewis. I think we, we see a little bit of both. There, there is absolutely a group of consumers who who are more invested than than, than the rest of the market in, in connected home devices. So we see, as you, you mentioned, about a quarter of consumers tell us they have more than three um, smart home products um, in, in their household. And that's up from from 17% compared to two years ago, so pre-COVID. And some of those people will be kind of pioneers, if you like, the type of people who will be really into the tech, really trying to make their home as smart as possible and potentially evangelizing about smart home as a concept overall. There'll also be, 
I'm, I'm absolutely convinced a group of people you kind of you start to hear and this is kind of anecdotal really but you, you have more conversations with the people who've, who've maybe bought a, a smart doorbell at some point in the last couple of years and and, and have a conversation um about it or they've they've upgraded their central heating and they've put a smart thermostat in or, the, or so, so there's, there's a little bit more kind of density of, of ownership um, and i think we are reaching a point where almost everybody knows somebody with whom they will have had a conversation about some smart home products or or, or the potential so that, that there's definitely some some word of mouth and kind of peer-to-peer growth if you like but so i think also related to that we, we see quite strong evidence that consumers are just gradually making more use of the connected features in their in their smart home products so we we have a question in the survey that asks people whether they've connected their each device to their home wi-fi and that's really the enabler for the for the smart capabilities in most instances and that's gradually increased over time for people who own each individual product so to kind of give an example of that, we've got more people saying that they own um, smart TVs and more of those people are saying that they've actually connected it to the Wi-Fi in order to make use of the capability. So there's a kind of compound element to that growth. So I think as well as the the, the noisier consumers, if you like, there is an, there's a degree to which also people are probably quietly at home in their own time making a bit more use of, of their smart products. And some of these categories are fundamentally quite dull um for want of a better word so so home security is not an exciting category that people will go out and and talk about at the pub to impress their friends or have an interest but it's important to people so so the different needs that people have emotionally if you like will, will impact the market and the the importance of word of mouth in different places and just one last point around mm. around adoption levels. Um, I also noticed that levels of ownership for over 65s were largely aligned with national averages. A little bit of variance, but sort of a, not too dissimilar from people in their 30s and 40s, which struck me as surprising as older people are often sort of presented as being more at risk of digital exclusion as these new technologies come in. Just interested in your take on that. Yeah, I think you, you, you're right. And we've seen it a little bit um, consistently over time, actually. It's not not new this wave. But there are sort of, I think, a few competing demographic factors going on here. So, so stereotypically, um, we have kind of a, a younger consumer cohort who are maybe a bit more interested in tech, a bit more able to, to, to adopt and make use of, of newer types of products. But on the, the the other side of that, we're fundamentally talking about people investing in their home um, and levels of home ownership are obviously much lower amongst um, amongst younger demographics. And, and, in, and that is increasingly the case, given the, the, the cost of housing in the UK. So we sort of see some 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 balance point and the highest levels of, of ownership in of, of smart home devices are people who. I, I would once have, have admitted were middle aged, and I'm I'm now in that demographic myself. Yeah. So between 35 and and 55, say, is, is to some extent the the sweet spot where you're balancing kind of familiarity with technology with ownership and income to to invest in the home. I think that there's also some some greater willingness amongst some older people to to invest in their their homes because they're they're more comfortable with that, and and home is where they spend so much more of their time. Their their priority perhaps is a bit more about home than going out socializing building a family perhaps um, and and potentially even to just some greater comfort in in kind of doing the diy project that might be needed to um to put some of these products in to, to one of the other points you made in your 
in your question. I think digital exclusion, we probably don't pick up to quite the same degree in the survey. And I think that is still a, a relevant factor for some for, for, for some older demographics. So in, in the survey, we're talking to people through an online interview. So they are, we have quite good coverage of dem demographics and, and, and we're comfortable kind of talking about the over 65s who we interview in the survey. But within that more elderly population and, and some other kind of consumer subgroups, that there will be limited representation of people who are perhaps more, more at risk. Um, we're, we're talking to people online. So people who are digitally excluded, we're not going to be picking up in the survey. While there is quite quite good levels of, oh, I say good levels of take up, and um, quite robust levels of, of ownership of connected home products amongst people well into their, their 50s, 60s and, and older, that group of more, more at risk consumers are likely still to be excluded to, to some extent. And as part of the wider Tech UK um, kind of conversation around um, Connected Home, we've always kind of talked a little bit about assisted living and the role that, that Connected Tech can play for, for older people in terms of enabling them to live independently at home for longer than they might do otherwise, or the role of, of housing associations being able to, to therefore support more elderly um, residents where the, 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 the resident themselves is not the person who invests in the technology. Um, so I think that there are elements there that we that we don't probably pick up in the, the survey quite as, as effectively as we could. No, I know Tech UK has a, a health and social care program where I think connected devices, you see them featuring more and more prominently in those discussions. Um, we just submitted to um, a DCMS select committee call for evidence around you know the role of connected tech for um, enhancing the lives of various groups of people and and definitely sort of among those those older categories then yeah the, the way it could help with assisted living people with reduced mobility that sort of thing um is, is definitely a very important feature but but as you say perhaps not necessarily captured in in this report yeah and it, and it's also it's one of the areas where and, and there are a few others where the, the the end consumer or the end user or the end beneficiary, perhaps we should think of them as, is not the person who who makes the financial transaction. So, from a, a kind of a, a research and marketing point of view, they're not the immediate point of commercial interest for the for a manufacturer, even or a service provider. So, moving on more to to the, those more sort of commercial considerations. So, many of our members are producers, manufacturers of connected home devices. Some are well established in the UK market. Others are looking to sort of grow grow their sales, market new products. So does the report give us an indication of, of the total value of the addressable market for, for connected home products in the UK? We we do, Lewis, yes. Um, so, so when we do this, we I'm going to lean back instead of on the on the survey data, on, on our retail point of sale data. So as I said at the start, this is based on on data that we get from retailers on what, what they've sold um through their through their stores. And I should probably again make a make a brief qualifier around around the methodology to to start with. So the way we build this data up is that we look at the main retail channels through which kind of each product category is sold. So in the example of smart TVs, we look at the main retail channels through which people sell TVs. But from time to time, a TV might be sold through an unconventional type of type of retailer. So there's a little bit of a limitation there. It's built from the, the bottom up, if you like. And there are two key sort of exclusions, which partly touch on, on where we were talking a second ago. So one of those is on what I would call B to B to C sales. So things like sales um, where actually the that they're sold through a trade channel and a tradesman then installs on behalf of a consumer. 
new build housing, for example, would be part of, of, of that kind of bit where we're not necessarily seeing the, the whole market for some some categories. And there are also some places where we don't see direct to consumer sales for some um, big tech producers. So I'm thinking here about some smart speakers and smart thermostats, which are sold directly by um, by the brand owners. So always need to put some some kind of some caveat around the absolute values of, in terms of size and value of the market. We think they're still absolutely really useful figures. And and it's absolutely the case that the, that the trends give us a really good indication about the, the direction of travel for the market, because those caveats are fairly consistent over time. So, so that notwithstanding, just to, to pull out a few figures, we, we tracked um, sales of, of around 20 million smart home devices in the year from April 2021 to March 2022. So the latest kind of fiscal year. That was down about 8% year on year. So again, talking about that, that COVID peak, but that figure was was up still more than ten percent, up eleven percent on the year to March twenty twenty. So you see that that kind of that indication of the of the wave, but we're still on a rising tide overall. And that's in, in volume terms from a value point of view, the market value of those twenty million units was something like five billion pounds. We we track it just under about four point eight billion. That was actually up one percent year on year, and up thirty percent on the year to March 2020. So in value terms, the market is really quite quite buoyant. And that is partly reflective of the, of the wider um, kind of tech goods market where we're seeing kind of a little bit more resilience in, in the premium end of the market. So slightly declining year on year volumes, but then uh, value is ever so slightly up. So that suggests a higher price per unit overall. And what would be what would be driving that? There are a number of different things driving that, and the, the kind of the most macro of those is that consumers do understand the benefit of of buying some smarter products for their home. So there is some willingness um, to to pay a little bit more for the benefits of a smart product. Um, so about forty five percent of consumers tell us that they would be willing to pay at least a little bit more for a smart product over an equivalent non smart one, and that that kind of provide some buoyancy to, to willingness to pay, if you like. There are, or there's also then some, some real inflation kind of in, in the background. We can't, yeah. you can't have any conversation for, for half an hour these days without kind of touching on, on inflation and, and cost of living. And, and the global factors kind of post-COVID around shipping costs, but also so raw inflation. But the other thing that makes a difference is, is the mix of products that are being bought within the overall kind of figures that, that we gave. So we're seeing quite good, quite buoyant sales for some of the big ticket items within the, the connected home basket. Um, so TVs, where more and more of the most recent kind of model ranges from the big TV manufacturers are controllable through voice control or, or, or apps on your phone. So, so a larger proportion of TVs are that are sold are, are smart TVs. Um, something similar applies to domestic appliances, so washing machines, which we talked about a little bit. Sales of smart washing machines have increased by by 225% over the last five years. About a third, just over a third of washing machines now have some kind of smart capabilities. So, so there's a, a change in the mix of products that are being kind of captured by that um, that smart home bundle, if you like, compared to, to what we might have seen previously, where Perhaps things like smart light bulbs, which are high volume items still, but the relative cost of each of them is, is relatively low. So there's some change in the mix of products as well as some, some real underlying inflation going on. 
So just think about those big ticket items. Mm. Um, so for, for smart televisions, I think so most people listening to this podcast will either own a smart television or definitely have experienced one. Mm-hmm. Therefore, sort of it's relatively obvious why why a consumer might be willing to pay for a smart television over a, over a, a non-connected or dumb television. But looking more at sort of the those appliances such as such as washing machines or stoves or things like that, mm-hmm. then um I guess maybe it's slightly less obvious where the benefit lies in um, and why consumers would want to sort of invest extra to get those smart appliances. Um, any thoughts on sort of what the key drivers are there? If we look at kind of people who say that they own or would be likely to buy smart home products, then we get a slightly different view on on, on what people what people see the benefits um, being. And, and in large part, those are pretty consistent over time. The two key things that people expect smart devices for their home to make their lives easier Um, and that applies a little bit more across sort of domestic appliances um, security systems and and, and lighting kind of categories and the other thing is that people expect devices to be fun to own so so there are some core make my life easier be fun to own and and have some advantages um, benefits which we've which we've always picked up just thinking also about the role of um Connected tech in improving energy efficiency. Um, we did introduce some questions this year specifically to understand whether this was becoming a key driver for consumers, um, particularly with the the rising costs of energy, which naturally featured a lot in the news recently. Um, what, what did we find there? The other thing which we've added this year is a couple of questions directly about energy efficiency and, and saving money. And they, they've come in kind of right near the top of people's reasons for buying. Um, so helping to make my household more energy efficient is the, is the joint third kind of driver of take up. And the ability to save money in the long run is only a couple of places lower, about 38% of people mentioned that as a, as a reason for buying. So there is definitely some ex- expectation around kind of energy efficiency and, and long-term kind of economics um, coming into play. Uh, and we added those new codes about energy efficiency and uh, and saving money. Um, we've always kind of had the conversation in the industry about what the, one, one of the benefits um, and one of the long-term sort of policy objectives of, of Connected Home is that ability to, to, to meet climate change targets and energy efficiency targets. Um, but it's always a, it, it's felt quite back of mind for consumers. So I was a little bit surprised by, by how prominent those answers were. Um, Obviously, it relates to, um, to to cost of living crisis and, and the current um, energy pricing. Um, but actually, when we did the interviewing in in April and March, we weren't at the at the peak of of kind of visibility of that as we are now, perhaps. So you you mentioned uh, energy efficiency coming in around third in uh, key drivers to adoption. So more more generally, what what are the key drivers and the barriers to adoption of connected home tech? So, so there's a, a few things that that go on, and some of them are more generic, kind of higher order barriers or, or, or enablers. Others are a little bit more specific. So, so some of the key things that we've always kind of said to to, to manufacturers that are important are that these are if, if people are going to buy what feels like a new tech category for themselves, it's really important they have some confidence that they're going to be able to use it. So there's there's always going to be a little bit of natural concern about 
whether I'm going to be able to get the most out of it, whether it's going to be a, a purchase that I regret because I haven't been able to, to get the benefits out of it. So confidence in, in being able to use it and related to that, some some belief and confidence that if I buy something, I'm going to be able to make it work with the other devices in my household or with my smartphone. I'm, I'm going to need to, to, to get the most out of it. Some of the other kind of specific barriers that, that always come up are kind of a broad kind of lack of knowledge and understanding because some of these are categories that people don't necessarily spend lots of time talking about categories that don't shop with a huge amount of interest or, or monitor with a huge amount of interest when they're not in the market so just some some familiarity and understanding of what's available is is always a barrier but there are also then some some specific concerns which which come out and are pretty consistent every year actually one of those is about personal privacy um, so the fact that people have some some worry that um, connected devices that they have to log into and control through an app and that app is on a phone which has all sorts of other apps and other information about them. There's a, a natural concern there. And, and I think the other thing, again, it's always been a concern, which is particularly relevant at the moment, is is whether or not kind of the, the, the cost of buying into smart home products is going to be justified. And as we think about the current kind of economic climate, that is going to be a, a potential drag on take up over the next um, year or two um, as we go through what looks like a recession coming in the UK. And so, I, I mean, I think we'll leave pricing to one side. That's more, mm. uh, you know, a way in which companies can differentiate and be and be competitive on price. Thinking mostly about sort of consumer awareness and then also some of those concerns you mentioned around privacy and cybersecurity, what can or is being done to, to address some of these barriers going forward? So I think that there are a handful of of things that the the industry overall and and regulators and and uh, and someone can can do to address that. I think there's an element of um of good marketing, so driving consumer awareness, being clear about benefits of of smart products, um, the needs that they address, um, and, and then also some of those longer term ability to to kind of pay back in the long term to be easy to use. That there's always a role for for marketing. By which I don't just mean kind of broadcast marketing, but but um, also at point of sale, that the effectiveness of communication and, and reassurance to consumers um, is important. I think retail environments for for some of these um, home products are potentially really interesting. Um, if you think about the difference in retail experience that you have if you go to a, a, a big DIY warehouse versus a, a department store. And that the help that you get from a retail assistant when you're buying a TV versus what yeah, you might like becoming a lot more sort of experiential, isn't it? A little bit more experiential, a little bit more tailored, and actually a somebody being a a salesperson rather than just a, a retail assistant, if you like, somebody who who doesn't doesn't just point you to the shelf and say yes, we've got one of those, you'll find it over here, but can have a conversation with you about what your needs are, what you're going to use it for, what else you have at home. So, so, so salesperson in, in, in the positive, mutually beneficial sense of the word, I think. And, and then from an industry point of view, I know I mean, that we'll, we'll be kind of, we've included in the, in the report a bit more information, but there's, there's lots of legislation coming through around common standards for consistency, building on data protection regulations that build kind of confidence in the consumer point of view or from a consumer point of view that the products that they're going to be buying are going to be safe from a, a technical point of view, they're not going to be going to electrocute them, but also not going to create risks to them in terms of sharing data in ways that are going to be inappropriate or being open to cyber attacks. So the 
if you like, the regulatory framework um, can support that kind of confidence building as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot happening in this space at the moment. We at Tech UK have been doing a lot of work with the government over the past year um, to try and make sure that there are good frameworks in place to ensure that consumers feel confident when buying connected home products. Um, so most notably, you've got the, the UK GDPR sort of addressing uh, privacy rights and, and, and concerns, and uh, and then the, the cybersecurity provisions within the product security and telecommunications infrastructure bill, which is currently working its way through, um, through Parliament and the Lords, which is sort of laying out that any product sold in the UK uh, provided it's sold legally, then is uh, is going to have sort of those minimum levels of cybersecurity protections built in by default. So um, yeah, we we see that as a good thing. It it helps to make make consumers feel more secure in the products they're buying, and ultimately helps to to grow the market. So looking forward, kind of um, anything that you're expecting to see over the coming year? I mean, we're already seeing quite a lot of what, what's going on in the, the coming year um and again the the the, the next year kind of it, it, it's a further follow-on from from covid and that that peak that we saw in the the 2020 to 2021 year i think within the, the wider kind of electronic goods marketplace it's going to be a, a tough environment but the premium end of the market and and the emerging Kind of that the, there is greater interest for consumers in, in connected home products as well. So I would expect connected home devices to be to be quite resilient against what is likely to be a declining trend. Um, there is definitely an, a, 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 a positive trend within the market, and we've kind of we've, we've skirted around a little bit the the the, the wider economic um, circumstance at the moment, driven by by cost of cost of energy and the inflation that that's driving, and that will provide some pull towards more energy efficient products um, yep. but they will need to to pay back against the investment that people will be making so i think that there is a, a, a trade-off there that has always been been the case but that trade-off does change a little bit as the cost of energy increases and some of the cost of these devices is not necessarily increasing by anything like um, the cost of energy. So you you hear about the ability to to pay back the cost of in, installing solar panels over four or five years now instead of ten, because the cost of the ed- energy that you're not buying is that much higher, as well as the increasing efficiency of the the core products. But I think we also can't ignore the fact that it's a very difficult economic climate. Consumer confidence is at an all time low. Um, there is a real squeeze on disposable incomes. Um, and that means that consumers will be less able to invest in new products. And in some cases, it will be the consumers who who would most benefit from those new products, particularly from an energy efficiency point of view. Um, so people where energy bills are a, a disproportionate amount of their, their income, those are the people who won't have the capital to spend on those solutions. And that's one of the things that I think drives um, the trends that we are likely to see, which is that the people who still have money to spend are the people who are like who would always historically have been buying at the at the more premium end of the market anyway. I think that's also where there, there's a role sort of in uh, local government and housing associations and and those, those sort of stakeholders there and sort of um they're, they're, where, they're, where they're investing their money. There there will be, and I think I I am unqualified to speculate, but I I would raise the question of whether there will be enough focus through kind of the the um 
the debate on on energy price caps um, to to to, to kind of generate actually a willingness to in, to do the capital expenditure that would help to resolve some of those problems from a long-term point of view and an energy objective point of view this might be kind of a positive in that 20 year sense albeit it's going to be really painful for people who are going through it and then sort of uh, lastly a bit a bit of a crystal ball question so a bit a little bit further out in terms of time span sort of five ten years any product categories that you're sort of particularly excited about that maybe haven't quite taken off yet <laughs> um I, I will always hesitate to look at a, at a crystal ball i think one of the things that I, I i speculate about and i think is is interesting is a little bit less actually on the on the device side i think potentially most of the the, the products that are likely to take off we probably have some sight of already um but i do think there is a gap around the, the the services that will enable those things and, and allow people to, to make the, the most of those products. Um, if I think of some of the the infrastructure, if you like, in a in a home, we've talked a lot this afternoon about kind of consumer products, but if we also think about the role of electric vehicles, the role of our home heating and energy and systems about solar panels, perhaps, or home generation. Um, they're, they're quite old school, dumb systems in lots of ways. So the ability to connect those together more efficiently, um, to be able to, to make good use of EV batteries to support home storage, to make the most of, of energy that you might generate at home, um, to be able to, to more intelligently decide how kind of where where to when and where to use your energy whether that's from a, a an in-home point of view or from a a demand management point of view for on the kind of the, the the generator side of the of the energy industry i think i think there's but that's where i would expect something to look really quite different maybe five or ten years from now compared to where we are now i find it harder to imagine it looking very different inside people's houses no, well, thanks, Trevor. It's been a fascinating discussion. Always appreciate your insights and, as ever, grateful for GFK's collaboration with us on this project. Um, if listeners would like to get in touch, Trevor can be reached at uh, trevor.godman, so that's G-O-D-M-A-N, at gfk.com. And we'll also drop his contact details in the notes to, to this podcast. But uh, yeah, th thanks, Trevor. Very welcome. It's always good to, to talk about it, aware that sometimes we're, we're speculating a little bit about what the future might hold, but, but nobody's going to hold us to that, I think. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of today's session. So to recap, we've seen that the connected home market in the UK has now reached the point where most people have some level of familiarity with connected home devices, and a vast majority have at least one in their home with around one quarter of the population being advanced adopters that have more than three types of connected home device. We're starting to see increasing interest and adoption in a much wider range of product categories. So um, in addition to the well-established entertainment domain, smart and connected technologies are now delivering benefits to consumers in a much wider range of areas, such as energy efficiency, living healthier lifestyles, and keeping their homes secure. So while year-on-year -year comparisons are skewed by the particularities of the pandemic, overall market trends nonetheless remain positive across almost all product categories. We have highlighted some continued barriers to adoption, particularly around pricing, privacy, and security. And TechUK believes that both industry and policymakers can be doing more to addressing consumer concerns in these areas and ensuring that 
devices are cyber secure, are interoperable, and also working to increase consumer understanding around product features. Looking forward, connected technology has a really important role to play in the journey towards net zero and in navigating the cost of living crisis. So we expect the devices that are more energy efficient or those that can nudge consumers towards more efficient practices will have a considerable advantage over the coming year. If you'd like to get involved in Tech UK's work around connected homes, you can find my contact details on, on the our team page of our website or just search Tech UK Connected Home.